Hey, thanks for checking out the Toronto Today podcast for Tuesday, November the 23rd. A big day, obviously, with 5 to 11 windows opening for kids 5 to 11 for vaccinations with the Pfizer vaccine and a smaller dosage at that in Ontario. Lots of questions. You got questions. He's got answers. Dr. Isaac Bogosh on the show. I'll give you some of my thoughts uh, as well. Teacher Jason Bradshaw just won a Big, big award. He's been on our show pretty frequently over the last year and a half talking about education, where it's been, where it needs to go, how it is right now. And we talk about the fall that has been with him. NDP leader Andrea Horvath on the show and much, much more. It's the Toronto Today podcast. It starts right now. I know it's a big day today. I know there's anticipation and excitement for parents to get at this uh, with kids and vaccines in Ontario. Shots into arms may happen as early as Thursday. Now, they're going to happen in a bunch of different places. That's a good thing. I wanted that, and I think so far I'm pleased to hear that that is going to be the case. But this morning at 8 o'clock is when you can book your COVID-19 vaccine appointment for kids 5 to 11. Now, there's a couple things happening. There was some confusion about birth year. There are kids that are uh, 2017 birthdays. I can't wrap my head around that. My last kid was born in 2008, and I retired on top, a champion, so to speak, all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, some of you have 2017 birthdays for kids, and uh, those kids, as of now, won't be eligible until their actual birthday, is my understanding. That you can't just say, well, birth year, and we went through this in the summer with the uh, 12-year-olds and kids that were born in 2009. Well, he's turning or she's turning 12 this calendar year. Can we get moving on this vaccine so that they're all set for school? And eventually, somehow, somewhere, somebody woke up uh, and got with it and realized that's a good idea. Why would we be cohorting kids in school and having a bunch of kids vaccinated and a bunch of kids unvaccinated? And we still don't know. They're still, you know, I struggle with the privacy issues and I understand it. I really do. I understand the concept of a private health matter. And I understand when schools are going through, you know, growing pains to start the school year this year. And we certainly were, given how unstable education's been since the start of the pandemic. I also understand. I got data, by the way, today, stats from uh, a couple U.S. states documenting just they, they tested um, kids that stayed in school and kids that came home and did remote learning. Whatever you think it is, whatever you think the gap and the difference is, it's worse. That's all. I, it is way worse than you ever potentially imagined. You're like, ah, this isn't going great. No, it didn't go great. It didn't go great for anybody. And we can't go back there again. And we won't. We never were going to. We never, ever were going to have schools close en masse in this province. I couldn't believe people p- predicting it. I couldn't believe the fact that some epidemiologists and infectious disease specialists were predicting mass school closures based on quote unquote cases. We were too fully vaccinated. That's good. We knew how to risk mitigate and knew a lot more about the virus. Just as good, maybe even better, maybe even better, given a lot of the kids we're talking about couldn't get vaccinated. So there's two ways to do this. You can obviously book. Some of you will book through your local public health units. Um, some of you can call the center. There's the provincial vaccine portal around eight o'clock this morning. Yeah. Kids have to be turning five years old by the end of the year uh, to be eligible. And look, it, it ends up being exciting news. It ends up being a significant milestone saying all that. I expect there to be a decent uptake 
I expect there to be a good response to this. Why? Because I think you're giving parents time to ask questions, time to get organized, time to understand emotionally and and mentally these are the right things to do moving forward. I actually believe that all of that will end up being true and we're going to have a good uptake of kids. The biggest mistake that uh, that Ontario could have made was to mandate this. I'll have Andrea Horvath on the show at 8 o'clock this morning. We're talking about a couple different issues, but as you might remember, she changed course in the summer about mandates. I want to ask her how she weighs in on 5- to 11-year-olds and a vaccine mandate. And my thought was simply this. You won't be able to pull this off. You won't be able to, you know, how would I put, how would I put it, um, uh, coerce parents into doing this if they're not ready yet. Of course, there's a lot of misinformation out there. Of course, they want to protect their kids. All of that stuff is there. Tons of falsehoods, tons of fear mongering, side effects, this and that side effects that don't even exist. Of course, all that's true. But good luck convincing the parent that's that's set in their ways. Good luck convincing the parent that's got their mind made up. And I think the majority of parents that we're talking about are waiting this out and they're going to, you know, ease into this, if you will. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying I blame you. What I don't think is possible, what I don't think was possible, was mandating this. We're seeing battles, pitch battles in California right now, which is one of the only places uh, that's actually doing this and uh, and and forcing parents. They're gonna. There's 22,000 kids that won't go to school in a couple different counties um, in later on in December uh, because they have it. They'll miss the deadline, which is December 1st. To get mandated. That's California. That's not us. What a massive mistake. What a cruel mistake that would have been. And uh, and I've got, uh, again, I've got a memory like an elephant. I don't think people are going to forget who wanted mandates, who wanted to basically put a, put a knife to your chest and say, hey, you got a five-year-old? Vaccinate that kid right now or there's no school for kindergarten. There's no school for grade one. That's not, that's not how we can roll with this. We need it for other things for certain. Absolutely. The mandates have created consumer confidence uh, to go to ball games and hockey games and bars and restaurants and gyms and all that stuff. All that stuff. You're not going to be able to talk me out of that. No chance. And I don't want it forever. I obviously don't. I don't want it for very long in the least. I'm sorry it had to come to this. We're also asking five, six and seven year olds to do certain things that they shouldn't have to anymore to protect what unvaccinated adults when they've had 10 months to get vaccinated. I don't want to do that much longer. I don't want to do that from this day forward. But that's going to be a pebble that's going to have to turn into a boulder at a certain point in time. Um, You know me in polls. Let me uh, shift here really quick. You know me in polls. So I'm not going to treat this poll as as anything terribly legitimate. But one thing leaped off the page to me, which tells you why polls are problematic sometimes. Leger did a poll in collaboration with the Canadian press, and they found half of Canadians plan to abandon social distancing during holiday gatherings. Now, right away, right away, uh, is that is that headline meant to concern you or reassure you? My guess is they want to stimulate a little bit of, you know, uh, a, a little bit of uh, the hamster wheel going on in your brain thinking, well, I don't know if people should do that. Okay, 45% of Canadians in this poll say they will Quote, greet others with a handshake, hug, or kiss at Christmas parties. Okay, 45% of Canadians are going to do that. Close to 90% of Canadians are vaccinated. Does that math add up to you? It doesn't to me. 
45% of Canadians say they're good with handshakes, hugs, or kisses at Christmas parties. There will still be some that don't. Some people didn't like it anyway. I think there's a generation of people. I've seen it. People in their 40s and 50s. Yeah, even women that just don't. They're not big huggers. I don't know when that changed. They just, it's just something you don't do. Maybe, it, maybe there was a more parochial era that happened. And uh, when you got together and went out with another couple on a double date, you know how sometimes there's people you hug and there's people you don't? I don't think anyone did that. I, I, clearly, that must not have been the case. In Ontario, the number prepared to ditch social distancing over the winter vacation is 50%. One of my favorite moments in the stat is, uh, is that um, when it comes to flying, flying I find really interesting, is that 21%, that's not the number, where am I looking, 18%. Only 18% of Canadians plan to get on a plane to see friends and family during the vacation. And that's getting painted as some kind of like what, airplane hesitancy. Who's how do you think one of five Canadians flies during? I've never flown to see anybody during Christmas. I'm lucky. Some people have to, some people don't, but do you think 8 million Canadians are flying over Christmas vacation specifically? No, they're not. What kind of question is this? Only 18%. I will read you it again. Only 18% plan to get on a plane to see friends and family during the vacation. And 9% have plans to fly to a vacation spot during the holiday. I find that very hard to believe. The 18% that is. Maybe not the 9. Do I think 3.6 million Canadians could vacation this year somewhere over the course of December or January? Maybe. It still seems high. I think it's wishful thinking that one-tenth of our entire population will be in Aruba or Barbados or Jamaica. I find that very, very hard to believe. Very, very hard to believe. Um, the other, but the 18% is, is rather ludicrous. That's, that's, not, that's not a thing where one of five Canadians utilize air travel to go see friends and family. That seems a little high to me, just a touch. If you said it was one out of 30 or one out of 40, I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. Yesterday, uh, John F. Kennedy, uh, was it was the anniversary of his assassination. And it went through a really, obviously, America went through a very troubling time from 1963 on when this happened. Right into the 64 election, uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson took uh, over as president from vice president, rolled to 1968. And then we had Nixon. We know what happened there. Um, some government corruption. What a thing. God, politicians being corrupt. I've never heard. Uh, of such a such a thing. But I found it interesting because a, a couple people were finding yesterday online speeches from John F. Kennedy. And I want you to hear some of this. I think this bears true today. Now, remember how Kennedy spoke. And that's why they parodied him, parodied him as Mayor Quimby on the uh, on the Simpsons. Um, but uh, and that might have been also partly Ted Kennedy. Also, um, John F. Kennedy in Nashville, Tennessee, gave the convocation address at Vanderbilt University. So he goes to Vandy, does the speech on May 18th, 1963. But I want you to listen to the crux of this and tell me if you think this doesn't apply now to be educated, to have responsibilities, to have the concept that you're looking out for each other. They sound like, you know, empty words. But in this time right now, when it comes to rights of Americans, we have some, we should be exercising them, Canadians too, but responsibilities as well. You weigh this almost like a scale of justice. Where do my rights intersect with my responsibilities to the greater good? This is amazing that these words hold up, and we're talking almost 60 years ago. Here's John F. Kennedy from 1963. This resonated, resonated with me yesterday. Maybe it will you as well. 
For there will always be those who scoff at intellectuals, who cry out against research, who seek to limit our educational system. Modern cynics and skeptics see no more reason paying those to whom they entrust the minds of their children a smaller wage than is paid to those to whom they entrust the care of their plumbing. But the educated citizen knows how much more there is to know. He knows that knowledge is power, more so today than ever before. He knows that only an educated and informed people will be a free people. That the ignorance of one voter in a democracy impairs the security of all. And that if we can, as Jefferson put it, enlighten the people generally, tyranny and the oppressions of mind and body will vanish like evil spirits at the dawn of day. And therefore, the educated citizen has a special obligation to encourage the pursuit of learning, to promote exploration of the unknown, to preserve the freedom of inquiry. Sounds very Zen. I know that. I know that. And I know people will hear that and be skeptical. Um, but yeah, being educated uh, tells you when, that when you get educated about anything, you don't have to go to university for it. You just have to read the right things and watch the right things and listen to the right things. I've said this a million times. And if I'm the first person to say it, great. The fact you're listening to me alone, whether you agree with me all the time or not, whether you agree with our guests, whether our guests uh, enlighten you, whether they tick you off, you're already way, way, way ahead of the learning curve compared to the average person. That's what we're trying to do here. That's it's like it, there's some brain stimulation happening here. Hey, I, I love jamming out to 35 minutes of nonstop rock like the next person. I'll probably do it beginning right at nine o'clock. Who knows? But knowledge is power. And you can't make that argument that it, it, that hasn't increased as opposed to decreased as a mantra that works in our society right now. You get educated, you get informed, you'd be amazed how free you feel, regardless of what's going on around you. Uh, we always appreciate his time, often busy. Uh, Dr. Isaac Bogosh, our guest. Special morning for parents of, uh, of younger kids. I'm seeing it. You're probably seeing it, too, and feeling it. Now, there will be an initial rush for these appointments, um, but it'll have to keep up, won't it, to get, uh, to get us to a certain threshold of, uh, of vaccinated 5- to 11-year-olds. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, fair to say that there's a, a big rush right now booking Five to 11-year-olds in Ontario, full disclosure, I blew it. <laughs> now I'm stuck trying to find an appointment. Well, they started it early. What, what, what's with that? They, they, uh, I had a friend of mine text me who listens to the show all the time. He got his appointment booked at 6.48 a.m. What's that all about? I was on a conference call early, early, early this morning. Then I did a, a news spot, and then I started to try book. And then, of course, it's... I'm last in line, I'm sure, but you know, we'll get there. Yeah, I think like you know, there'll be there'll be a big rush right now, and then of course, everyone who's wanting a first dose will have access to it. We know what about 50, 60 percent of parents are probably going to get their kids vaccinated, and the other 40-ish percent of people might need a bit more time. That's okay. That's okay. No shaming. No stigma. Like people who are who still have ongoing lingering questions, we've got to obviously approach this in an empathetic manner. Take their questions seriously. And, uh, you know, meet people where they are. And, and, you know, 
I think if we take that approach, we'll, we'll probably get a lot more vaccinated than, than the initial 50 to 60 percent. We just had um, Andrea Horvath on, and I won't politicize our discussion. I promise there's a lot of that that exists out there. But but I made the point about mandates. I, I could see this maybe, Dr. Bogush, by by next fall. But I, I was against the concept of it. I think that's that's too much to ask parents of five to 11 year olds. They didn't even need a mandate themselves to do anything for months on end. So we had all this real world data. They're adults. They're at greater risk um, from COVID-19. The older you get, the more com- comorbidities you get. But I could see it coming down the line that it will just be another check on the box like polio and diphtheria and measles. What, what is your thought on it? Well, I think for the, obviously for the 2021 and 2022 calendar year, I have total agreement with you. I would not mandate this. I think that it, you don't have um, the, there's still too many, I mean, I've got to be careful with my words, but we, there's still some unknowns. And I think yeah. if you look at the NACI document, they communicate exactly what is known about this, the benefits of vaccination, uh, but they also communicate that, that there are some unknowns and that, you know, with, with more time, uh, we will have more answers to some of the questions that, that people have. That's reasonable. I think that's a very reasonable approach. And like, I, I totally agree with you. I think, you know, let's revisit this conversation later in 2022 or early in 2023. But at least right now, when you have a clinical trial that's, you know, a few thousand people large, plus uh, growing real world experience rolling this out, it is too early to mandate vaccinations in the five to 11 year old crowd. And I think if you look at the wording in the NACI document as well, it's pretty clear that those people who wrote that document would agree with that sentiment too. Dr. Isaac Bogosh, kind enough to join us. Big morning for parents of 5 to 11. So we're getting some questions in uh, at 289-975-1640 on text 289-975-1640. Also, if you know somebody that knows somebody that can get Dr. Bogosh an appointment, this will be like getting Leafs playoff tickets. We'll, 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 I don't know what the price will be, but we'll get you a set. We'll get you a set by uh, by the oh, end of the day. It, you know, I know you we'll will. You, we'll book. We'll <laughs> stand in line like everybody else. Yeah, you might be driving to Bowmanville, but it's beautiful there this time of year. Or Belleville or other B words um parents asking uh can they get their kid the flu shot the same day as the covid vaccine or or should there be any sort of waiting period between those what would you advise yeah as a precautionary measure it's requested that people take about two weeks between vaccinations and i think that makes sense you know for adult populations they say no biggie no problem whatsoever get your flu shot in one arm get your covid19 vaccine in the other arm with kids, they're still asking that the doses be separated. And the reason is, in case there's a rare, rare event, you'll at least be able to pick apart more easily which vaccine might have been the culprit. And that's why. But again, they're only doing this out of a precautionary measure. Watch. With time, they'll probably ultimately say it's no problem. You can have them at the same time. But now, as they're rolling out, as it's early, they're asking for a two-week separation between vaccines. Um, the second shot, uh, the eight week wait, um, it's get it's gotten debated a lot. Three weeks. Um, and, and obviously the United States is rolling that way. The longer efficacy served us really well with adult vaccines in the spring is eight weeks. The right call in your estimation. Oh, this is a no brainer. Yeah, this is a no brainer. I mean, listen, there's a couple points. One is that when we look at everything we know about multiple dose vaccines, plus everything we've learned about COVID-19 vaccines over the last year, Separating the doses by a couple of months provides a more robust immune response. Like, that's, that's pretty obvious. The second point, though, is there, there is growing evidence, and it, apparently it'll be published soon, that if you separate these doses uh, by, and the wording is at least eight weeks, 
then then there's a lower risk of adverse effects, including the inflammation of the heart, also known as myocarditis. So I think there's a lot of good reasons to separate these doses. Uh, and I really like the wording, at least eight weeks. So yeah. Some people are still treating it as it's eight weeks on the nose. Yeah, I mean, I think that gives you a little wiggle room to go between eight to ten ish weeks. And, you know, I think we'll see some emerging data demonstrating that that is the right approach kind of makes you wonder. I I mean, I'm asking, I don't actually, I don't know the answer, but like, what are they doing in the United States? They have the exact same access to the same data that we have that that the rest of the world has. You got to wonder why they went with a three week duration. But that was the Israel problem, wasn't it? Is, is giving adults second doses way too quickly when, when efficacy hadn't waned. And then you're just, you're just a dog chasing your tail. And you know, there's that, I I know speaking of getting politicized, then it goes from, Oh, next thing you know, we'll need an eighth shot and a ninth shot. And that, but, but that, that's what happened because they chased their tail a little bit getting, we, we, we marveled at how vaccinated they were early days and then how fully vaccinated they were but it caught up with them later in the summer because efficacy wanes on these things yeah i think there's a couple points there one is that it's fair to say that you know probably i gotta be careful with my words here probably with most adults with this is a three dose vaccine yeah that's probably it that's probably it you know we'll all probably get our third dose at some point you know later in 2021 or sometime in 2022 and that'll be that. That's probably how it goes. And people say, oh, come on, is it a 10th dose and a 12th dose? Like, give me a break. There's a lot of three-dose vaccines out there. There's a lot of them. Hepatitis B, uh, human papillomavirus, HPV. Like, there's a lot of them. So this, this might be yet another three-dose vaccine series. The other point, too, is, yeah, there is waning. You can't ignore it. And sometimes some of the studies and some of the media overhypes the degree of waning. But it's there. It's there. And it start, you really see it at around that six-month mark. You can't ignore that. Um, you know, the other point, too, is that still with two doses of a vaccine, even though people will probably need a third dose at some point, the two doses of the vaccine really provides significant protection against severe infection. And it really is holding up strong against landing people in mm-hmm. hospital and dying. You can still have a bad outcome. It's just way, way, way less common in people mm-hmm. that have had two doses of this vaccine. So, you know, multiple things can be true. And I don't know. Sometimes you hear some pundits and <laughs> discuss, you know, doom and gloom and all this stuff. It's it. These vaccines are great. They work really well. We'll probably get a third dose early 2022 sometime. Mm. We'll move on with our lives. You know, I have, and people say, well, when do you need a fourth dose? The answer is, I have no idea. No idea. You might not ever need one. And maybe, maybe, maybe it's years and years down the line. But I think it's three and done. You studied infectious diseases, not fortune telling. Tell them that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And how about just like stick with data? Communicate uncertainty. Be humble. We don't have all the answers. We're learning a lot as we go, and we'll get through this if we we keep grounded. Now I got one more. Head up. I hundred percent. I got one more. I'm going to make us late, but I think most parents want to know this too. And parents of fully vaccinated kids, because I'm seeing all this confidence and freedom. Well, my kid will get his life back. Careful. Yes, they'll get a lot of their life back. But I'm going there, and I got to ask about masks. Um, it, this will get us, I hope, to the point that if we set a metric, whether it's eight weeks after today, it's, you know, the first appointment, or twelve weeks after, if we have the proper vaccination rate, if we have a very low hospitalization rate, and we stick with everything we're doing, and and yeah, the elderly keep wearing them, immunocompromised keep wearing them, but we got to earn trust back with public health officials when they say we're going to get you help you get the masks off they gotta parents need that i think parents want that at a certain point in time i i agree to some extent listen feel free to disagree feel free to laugh me off this call i really (laughs) think i really think we're going to be masking through the fall and winter that's my guess 
That's my guess. Uh, and, and I think it's largely driven by uptake of the vaccine uh, in the 5 to 11-year-old crowd, by uptake of the vaccine in the older cohorts. My guess is we're not even going to think about masks coming off until the spring. Oh, I think That's April 1st guess. is written. No, I'm not going to laugh at you because I think April 1st is reasonable. What parent wouldn't sign up for that at that point? And I, and I think we'll be in a much, yeah. much better place. I boil when people say, well, we're in the middle of a pandemic. No, we're almost at the end of it. We're not in the middle. We're of definitely it. Far, way farther along. Way it's not farther. Over, but it's still here. Yeah. And, 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 but yeah, I'm with you. I mean, like, you can't ignore the fact that close to 90% of eligible people have had a first dose. You can't ignore the fact that 75% of the entire country has been fully vaccinated. Like, that's helping a lot. Can you imagine if we didn't have vaccines, how screwed we'd be right now? Like, these these really are helping. And, yeah, of course, you see cases going up in places. Just imagine what it would be like without vaccines. It would have been you know, so much worse. And, and I'm not sure cases uh, are going to st- – I'm not sure masks are stopping cases. They're limiting them. But cases are going to be cases. we got to watch hospitalizations, oh, yeah. ICUs, and deaths. That's the three I mean, metrics that are more important matter. than cases all right now. Matter. All but, those matter. And the other point, too, is remember, masks aren't everything. They help a little bit. Every little intervention helps a little bit. It's not like it's any we don't have any silver bullets. Like it's not like masks. No. You're never going to mask your way out of this. It just helps keep things under control a little bit. And, and you yeah. add that to better ventilation in the room. That helps a little bit. You add that to, you know, hopefully as many people getting vaccinations. That helps a lot. A lot. Like there's different degrees of impact of every intervention. Some are more, more helpful than others. Yeah. Masks help a little bit, but it's worth having them. At least like give us the fall in the Sure. Yeah, sure. yeah. Let's go a little bit longer with them. Thank you for your logic and passion, Dr. Bogosh. Go get that appointment. Appreciate it. <laughs> Take care. You got yeah. it, uh, Dr. Isaac Bogosh. She is the official leader of the opposition in Ontario and the Ontario New Democrats. She is Andrea Horvath. Andrea, it's great to have you back on the show. Thank you for making time for me. My pleasure as always, Greg. Um, let's. We're going to get to vaccines. We're going to get to education. We're going to get to a lot of issues. But you did something I thought was really, really important yesterday, and you uh, you worked with um, a, a really important group that we talked a lot to, the National Council of Canadian Muslims, on the R London Family Act. Tell me about it. Tell our listeners about the uh, the genesis of it and what you hope it does. Uh, well, Greg, uh, the genesis of it came uh, back in June when that horrific uh, incident occurred in London, where an entire well, three generations of a family were were mowed down by a white supremacist uh, uh, and uh, Islamophobic terrorist. And uh, when we uh, when we gathered with community to mourn and to listen, uh, they were very clear. Uh, when 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 this happened in Toronto with Mohammed Aslam Zafis. Uh, at the uh, at the mosque here in Toronto, uh, people said never again. But they said never again when it happened in in the Quebec mosque as well. And so in London, they said we 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 now are saying never again, and it's happened again. And we need to take action. So so having uh, you know sympathy and having uh, you know uh, outrage and, and and condemning these acts is one thing, uh, but uh, politicians have to follow up their talk with real action. And so we reached out right away mm-hmm. to the NCCM and said, what can we do? What can we do uh, to help with the action? And they uh, worked with us to, uh, well, uh, we actually, we worked with them because they took the lead uh, to develop this uh, Our Ontario Families Act, uh, and it, uh, or our London Families Act, rather, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, and what it does is it, it actually puts in place 
through legislation, a number of pieces that we hope will finally start to turn around the growing anti-Islamophobia, uh, the, the racism, the hate, uh, the white supremacy that has been just continuing to grow in our province. What what can we do? What, so what happens? What do you need from the Ford government to um, to push this forward? You you would think there are some things that go beyond politics, some yeah. things that uh, that, you know, that that are a sensible line that that people of all, um, you know, political ideologies can agree with. What are you hopeful for from them? Well, in fact, I, I'm glad you asked that because we reached out, I reached out to the other party leaders uh, and asked them for support. And uh, uh, thus far, I've heard that uh, the um, uh, John Fraser, who's uh, heading up the handful of Liberals in the legislature, uh, and Stephen Del Duca, the leader who's not in the legislature, will be supportive. I heard that uh, Mike Schreiner, the Green Party leader, uh, is supportive. I haven't heard anything officially and formally from the government, and I'm hoping to, because you're right. Uh, you know, we, we took the action that was asked for, uh, but it's not solely our action that's necessary. It's everybody's action. And so we would hope that the bill will be supported by all parties when it's introduced. It's right now being drafted uh, with the legislative folks at Queen's Park. Uh, and uh, and it's it's uh, it's something I hope that uh, that the government can get behind because that's the only way it's going to pass, as we know, with a, a majority government. And so it's not radical. I mean, it's it's providing a hate crime, crimes accountability unit, for example, um, trying to get at some of those white supremacist groups by just making sure we're doing our deal due diligence around registration of societies and uh, and when pe- when there's intimidation tactics that are being used on public property or on private property uh, let's make sure that we're we're bringing the appropriate level of uh, uh, of uh, you know of of, of effort yeah. to to prevent those from happening let's let's make sure that we're putting the resources into a tool that we already have, which is the Anti-Racism Directorate, which unfortunately has been largely defunded. And uh, we, we can actually put some more steam into that organization to do proactive work. And of course, education is always a huge piece. Uh, it's an ambitious and, and a worthy goal. Um, I, I, I bring this up for not just anti-Muslim racism, and I, and I say s- s- things have to happen, I think, at the government level, and there has to be legislation. And, and it also has to happen just in, in, in a real micro effort I'll, on our streets, in our communities, in where we gather in public to to say, well, you can't say that. Uh, you, you never should have been able to say that, but you can't say that now. You can't do that now. And I find I found after the, the attack in London, Andrea, that that we we sort of rallied as communities and said, we got to keep more of a vigilant eye on our street. And even if that's telling a neighbor, hey, don't tell that joke. It's something. It's something. It's a start. It's got to start at the grassroots. No, you're, you're absolutely right. We all have to take responsibility. I was heartbroken to hear some of the, the stories. There was a, uh, you know, a conference yesterday where MPPs were listening to, uh, to Muslim voices and hearing just heartbreaking stories about kids that say that they, they have to always make sure they're walking, facing traffic. So in case a car starts to veer onto the sidewalk to run them over, they can jump out of the way. Like kids are saying that. Uh, it's awful. Women afraid to walk on the street for fear of their hijab being torn off or being uh, taunted. Uh, of course, women who are uh, black women who wear hijab, uh, they are the ones that, uh, of course, get even more negative attention. So there's just, it's just heartbreaking. People who have been literally uh, having the conversation about moving back. Uh, one fellow was saying he and his wife 
seriously talked about moving back to Pakistan, even though they haven't been there for 30 years. There's no land there anymore that they own. But they just don't feel welcome here. They don't mm. feel like this is our, their, their home. And we have to change that, not only, as you said, at the community level, one-on-one, uh, but also making sure systemically we do that so that, you know, so that we, we can ensure that the next generation, so those kids' kids don't feel that way. And so the mm. next generation after that doesn't feel that way. And you're right. It's, uh, it's Islamophobia. It's anti-Semitism. It's anti-Black racism. It's anti-Indigenous racism. This stuff is a pariah, and it's got to stop. Andrea Horvath, our guest, Ontario NDP leader on Toronto Today uh, with Greg Brady on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I mentioned uh, a special day. Parents, uh, I remember the the sort of oomph I felt when I was able to get my kids, certainly their first shot, secondarily their second shot. But you do feel that balance of, of protection and a little more freedom and a, and a little more bravery, to be perfectly honest. Um, what are you hoping to see in the weeks and months to come with not just vaccine uh, uptake, but as we move through, I guess, the pandemic phase of this closer to the end? to maybe treating COVID as more an endemic situation, this gets us there. It gets, it's going to build a lot of confidence for parents and families to do things they've been hesitant to do. Uh, I, I'm thrilled. Uh, I think everybody is thrilled that this uh, is finally here. And I just encourage parents, as you are doing, uh, to, um, you know, to, to, to take up the vaccine for their, their children. Uh, it's, it's, it hopefully is going to bring us to that place that you talk about. People are exhausted. People have worked really hard. People have, have experienced significant losses, both in terms of loss of, of life, loss of well-being, loss of businesses, loss of jobs. Uh, it's, time, it's time that we uh, can have some hope for the future. And I think this is a a big step that helps us with that hope, but we're not out of it, as you said. And and there are still people whose uh, whose losses uh, we need to think about clearly and, and think about whether there are some more supports that we need to put in place uh, to help get through these next couple of months. Uh, but but ultimately, I would just encourage folks to to get their kids vaccinated. Uh, and uh, and those folks who are still uncertain, uh, who are still um, you know not mm-hmm. um, not able to, or where there are still barriers, we can't. We can't forget them. You know, we have to continue to try to reduce any barriers that still exist and uh, and get to get folks comfortable with the vaccine. I, I wonder about the alignment um, when it comes to uh, a mandate. I'm not for it for five to 11 year olds. I wondered. I, I know you aligned and, and I, I agree with your perspective on it uh, that you mentioned in August uh, that we need to vaccinate all healthcare workers, all education workers, certainly all long term care workers. The province, to me, was way too late to the party on that. And it's still not sufficient that we've got 300 TDSB employees. It was documented yesterday teaching in schools that aren't vaccinated. But I I think the five to 11 Andrew was was a bridge too far i think we have to have healthy conversations with parents i think we have to be patient especially with parents of perfectly healthy five six seven year olds who have questions about these vaccines where do you stand on that well, it's a good question, and, and I did, uh, in fact, uh, start talking about the possibility of including the vaccine in the, in the roster of vaccines that are required for children uh, who go to school. And uh, I think that that's something that uh, I put that out there because I think that's an important debate and discussion to have, and I want the experts uh, to be looking at that and, and providing the advice. And I know some have come back with, uh, with mixed reviews. Uh, some are for it, some against 
but it's something we need to seriously think, think seriously think about. And I think, as you indicate, we've got you know months and months to go still. I, I think we really need to to take seriously that um, you know that opportunity. Uh, we have we do it for you know measles uh, for for chicken pox. We do it for pertussis. We we do it for all kinds of other uh, for tetanus. Let, let, let's really think seriously about whether this is necessary uh, to be put on that roster. I think it'll become that. I remember thinking that a couple months ago. I think it will yeah. become that. But I think in the middle of a school year, right, going into a holiday season, um, I, I think we've had, it, it, I, I mentioned uh, to a couple of guests already this morning, there's 19 days of real world data from the United States. And that's a good thing, not a bad thing. They went first. We were frustrated waiting. But it's good to see that it's generally speaking, there's a positive uptake without mandates and that there's been no no bad news stories, as I would call them, about, about side effects or complications. I think those should be encouraging things to parents. And I think it will be mandated eventually, but it's tricky, right? With no real world data. Um, and, and we as adults had forever to worry about a mandate. We have, t- we had months to wait asking a parent, like I said, of a healthy six, seven, eight year old, who's already, you know, traumatized with, with everything that's happened in their educational early life so far. It's a big ask. It's a big ask. And I, I worry there would be not a lot of compliance for it. Yeah, well, I think that's that's the balance that we have to strike. Uh, I, I do uh, I do think that that's something that we're going to get to, and that's why I put it out there some time ago. Uh, but you know, I, I understand, uh, especially with children, it's uh, uh, it's something that parents they want to protect their kids as best as possible, and uh, of course they're trying to figure out is is it best to vaccinate. Or, or not to, and I, I think you're, you're absolutely correct. And I encourage parents, as I did from the very beginning of this conversation, to uh, to get those kids vaccinated. It is safe. Uh, the evidence shows it uh, thus far, and uh, and it will help us uh, get to finally wrestling this pre- uh, this uh, virus to the ground. Only a couple of minutes left, but it's a, I, to me, it's a real good news story as well. In that Ontario optometrists are going to resume eye exams for kids. But what blew me away, Andrea, was. 15,000 exams a day fell by the wayside during a school year in the midst of a pandemic. It it never should have got to this point. So it's a good faith measure by the optometrist to go back and say, okay, we'll do this because there's going to be negotiation at the table again. This should have been this should have been an emergency red alert situation and not something that the Minister of Health laid out there for 13 weeks. What's your thought on that? Oh, I agree. The the implications or the impacts were significant. Kids that couldn't see the blackboard, uh, elderly people who had their uh, necessity to get their glasses uh, upgraded, their prescriptions changed to be able to drive, and so they became more isolated uh, and uh, unable to go about their lives. That people really suffered as a result of this, and it wasn't it wasn't necessary. The, the government has known that this was a problem for a very long time. Uh, the, uh, the the optometrists were urging the government for months and months and months and months on end to get this resolved. And of course, let's not forget, this has been a problem for decades. Uh, you know, 15 years of the Liberal government didn't fix it either. Uh, but, there, but the fact that the, the optometrists had to go to those lengths to wake up the government, to shake up the government, to get some, something happening here, and the numbers of people that had to suffer as a result is just unconscionable. Andrew, thank you very much for the time today. Always appreciate you chatting with our listeners and, and uh, thank you very much. Have a great day. My pleasure, you too, Greg. Bye-bye. Andrea Horvath, uh, leader of the NDP. Um, I'm very pleased to have our next on, uh, next guest on, the recent uh, award winner of uh, the Prime Minister's Award. This is a big, big deal. This is a big deal, and he won it along with a colleague, and we'll, uh, we'll certainly mention her name as well, the 2021 Prime Minister's Award for Teaching Excellence. Jason Bradshaw, uh, science educator, joins me now. It's great to have you on. Congratulations on the award. Um, did you have to make a big 
big speech? Do you have a big plaque coming in the mail? Are you, are you checking Canada Post? Uh, what happens next? Uh, good morning. Uh, thank you very much. Um, I, I get a certificate. Um, I, I do get to have a Zoom meeting uh, with Justin Trudeau. Um, and I don't know about making a big speech. I hope nobody <laughs> asked me to do that. <laughs> Rachel, Rachel Luca won it with you as well. And, and both of you teach mm -hmm. in, she teaches in Peel region as well. Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's great. Um, give me a sense as to where we're at, uh, Jason, as we look, um, I, I know you've been very outspoken and vocal and, and I, I welcome it. I really do. Um, I advocate for teachers everywhere I can. I grew up in a household of teachers and you've talked a ton about the hybrid model. What are the big struggles with it? What are the big fears going forward? And, and do you want to hear more going into the next few months, uh, let alone, you know, several months going into next fall that, that it's, it's going to be a thing of the past. Are you worried it won't be? Uh, yes, I would say my number one concern is that it becomes normalized. And for those who don't know, the hybrid system is basically, uh, since we still have students who are learning at home, some school boards have opted to actually have those students join into their classes virtually. So a teacher like myself is teaching a classroom full of students. And at the same time, we have another set of students who were teaching online simultaneously. So we're literally teaching in the classroom and online at the same time. And it's obviously just as ineffective and inequitable as it sounds. It's not fair to the students, it's not fair to the teachers. And my number one concern is absolutely that it becomes normalized, that somebody looks at this and says, you know what, this is a really efficient way to get one teacher to do two jobs, but we're not able to do those jobs effectively. No, I, and, and I, I got to think, you know, you, you're able, it, it, there are certain curriculums, I would guess, that just are make it much, much more impossible. And I'm guessing the hands-on stuff, to be honest, like a science, like math, is far more hard to do. Uh, it's all hard, but I, I would guess there's certain, you know, uh, disciplines that would be way harder to do with a hybrid model. Absolutely. And I like that you used more impossible because you're right. <laughs> it's not really effective for any subject. But certainly for ones like, like science or, um, or any kinds of hands-on class, like you said, I want to be able to do lab experiments. I want to be able to, to have my students have those hands-on experiences. And if I do that, the students at home are being excluded. Or if I'm focusing on those at-home students, I'm not able to safely supervise my in-class students when they're doing lab work using chemicals and equipment. Jason Bradshaw is joining us on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto on Toronto Today uh, with Greg Brady. Give me a sense as to if you could flash yourself back to late November. We, we know things last year, no vaccinations. We know they're coming, but but not in sight for, for people like you and me and certainly not for high school students. What's your mindset in terms of how much better this is? This year's had challenges, no doubt about that. But what's better than last year at this time for you as an educator and for students with an in-person experience? Well, just having that in-person experience, because last year my board began the hybrid model, but even in this hybrid model, nearly all of the students were online still before vaccination. Uh, families weren't comfortable sending their kids to school, um, especially because I do teach in Peel region, which has been a hot spot throughout much of the pandemic. So understandably, parents were quite concerned before vaccination. So uh, it was I, I saw so few so few students in person through much of last year. So as much as the hybrid setup is challenging and it's not effective, it is 
it is nice to actually have some students in the room at least that has really made a big difference to my mental health and to my students mental health as well i think did you come in feeling confident i i had i, I into labor day let's say i i this is like a sports question almost what was the mood in the room late august early <laughs> september because i asked that because I, I i said it a few times and i would say four to five teachers agreed with me but i would say that fifth teacher was pretty adamantly disagreeing with me when i said listen if you don't feel safer let's say you're a fully vaccinated adult in a fully vaccinated household Many of the high school kids that will come to your class will be fully vaccinated. More will than won't be. And now we're, we've got uptake now, uh, I think, of 12 to 17 at closer to 80 percent than I think we imagined. I, I would have been a bit off thinking we'd get there. But I said, if you're more concerned and scared for your own safety than a year ago at this time, I, I don't know what to say. And, and I'd say most teachers agreed with that. Would you have agreed with that going into September that you felt a lot safer in the classroom? I felt <clears throat> I felt pretty good about my personal safety for the reasons that you mentioned because um, I'm fully vaccinated, of course, and um, I would hope I I don't know how many of my students are fully vaccinated. I would hope that a good portion of them are. Uh, so I felt pretty good because of the vaccines. What I did feel some concern about is that a lot of the safety measures that are still happening because we still do need safety measures. The pandemic isn't over. Uh, but a lot of them seem rather theatrical rather than being aimed at being effective. I mean, we we talk about having cohorts in secondary school, mm -hmm. but we also have a common lunch period where literally every student can get together and eat their lunch without their mask on. Um, so I definitely felt safe personally. My main concern was more about the elementary age kids who obviously did not have the option to be vaccinated at the time. Uh, thankfully, now the pediatric vaccines are coming out. So hopefully, I really do hope that parents will uh, choose to vaccinate their children. I haven't seen the stats in Canada yet, um, Jason, and I'm, I'm happy to flip them to you after the interview because I think, you know, you care about all educators and all kids. So I, I would love to flip these to you. But there's a few studies coming from the United States noting remote learning was was just just an abject failure. And, and for some students, you can imagine, right, the six, seven, eight year olds, the equivalent of no school at all. I, th those aren't the kids mm -hmm. I have because I had it last year. I had a seventh grader and a ninth grader. So uh, but I saw, you know, I, I saw how, what a struggle it was for teachers. So all across, I would bet you across Canada, we would see kids significantly be behind in reading. Math especially was difficult to teach uh, without being in person. So it's easy to say, well, yeah, everybody's, you know, it's like grading on a curve. Everybody was suffering the same things and schools really weren't open anywhere. But it still it still shows you that we had to do everything imaginable to make sure schools kept open. And I don't know if we overreacted even last spring and, and kept the schools closed for three months. But remote learning just just it's just a no go for some subjects, some age groups and, and bottom line for some kids. Absolutely. And I think the bottom line is, and if you recall, even before the pandemic, when uh, education unions were having labor uh, issues with the government, mm -hmm. one of the things that we were fighting for was not to have mandatory uh, remote learning, which is something that the uh, provincial government still has not given up on, by the way. They still, even after all of this, they still want to have mandatory online learning. Uh, and it's just, it does not work for everyone. We're not saying that it shouldn't be an option. It can be a great option. We have the technology, we have the resources, and some students can thrive in this setting. It's not a one-size-fits-all option. It's not something that should be forced on all students, especially not in the situation where um, there's not proper support for it. 
definitely not in a hybrid setup where the students don't have mm-hmm. a dedicated online teacher. Uh, so you're absolutely right. It's not. It's it's a failure when it's forced on on everyone, on on staff, on students. It needs to be something that's done with proper supports and an option for students who can benefit from it, mm-hmm. but not something that all students should have to do just because it, it saves money or or whatever rationale the government wants to give for it. I only got about 40 seconds, but I want to ask you about masks. I've been talking a lot about it, talking to pediatricians, talking to um, a lot of the experts, especially about early childhood development. Are you hopeful, hopeful you're teaching before June um, without a mask and without masks on your kids in class? How would you feel about that? Ultimately, nobody loves wearing a mask. I mean, it's it's not exactly a fun you know, fashion accessory or anything like that. Uh, but I put my trust in the science and the experts, and I'm willing to to put up with it as long as they believe it is the best and safest approach. And I think that extra caution is is better than removing uh, safety precautions too soon and having negative effects. I got you on that. Congratulations on the award. Well deserved. And and you always have made time for me uh, way back. Uh, I think the first time we chatted might have been summer or late spring of 2020. So I always thank you for that. And uh, I think kids are lucky to have teachers like you. I was lucky to have teachers like you. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you. Jason Bradshaw uh, joining us. Um, this has happened to a very popular, well-known company in Ontario here. On November 7th, Chapman's, which makes ice cream, brilliantly so. And if you've got a kid with a nut allergy, you're all about Chapman's. Trust me, my oldest has a nut allergy, um, and we're all about Chapman's. Um, started now and then, I'll, I'll, I'll stray. I'll stray a little bit, but I, we're more Chapman's than anywhere else. So they started twice a week rapid testing for some of their employees who didn't want to get vaccinated. And five employees said, no, we're not getting vaccinated, and we're not getting tested. Oh, you sound fun. And they're currently on unpaid leave. Then five days later, they said they'd give their fully vaxxed employees a $1 per hour raise by month's end. Well, that news got out uh, to anti-vaccine groups. It kicked some off. Let's find out how the temperature is now. Uh, Ashley Chapman is kind enough to join us uh, from Chapman's Ice Cream. It's great to have you on. Thank you very much for making the time for me. Good morning. I'm a big fan of your product, clearly. Now, you can imagine, in in moderation, Ashley, like I still, you know, <laughs> you can only go so far sometimes. You like some, you reach for that extra bowl, and it's, uh, it's a regret for days on end. You're running an extra couple miles on the treadmill. It's inevitable. Well, you have very good taster. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'll pass that along to my superiors. Uh, they'd, be, uh, they'd be fascinated to hear that in my uh, yearly review. Now, where is everything now? I mentioned those dates. November 7th, you ask that we're, we're going to test some, some folks that won't get vaccinated. Then you offer the raise to those that did get vaccinated as an incentive. Um, we're 11 days down the line. You've heard from an awful lot of people, supportive and otherwise. Where does it stand now in your mind? Well, I, to be honest, it's it's been a little uh, it's been a little traumatic for some of my people in customer service. The uh, the absolute rage uh, that that we've been getting via um, like even my my father's seventy eight years old. Yeah, still comes into work every day. And the other day, he had some guy screaming on his voicemail, accusing him of being Hitler and a Nazi. Um, so it's just that you know. Our entire stance about uh, our vaccine policy was about compassion and, and trying to uh, accommodate these people in our community that uh, that uh, some of them I've, I've known for over 10, 15, 20 years. So mm-hmm. we are trying to be compassionate about people who are confused or just have a bad feeling about the vaccine because we live in a rural area and uh, the backlash has just been 
threatening uh, and 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 overwhelming. I imagine that's lousy for him. I, I always think people who go into politics, uh, Ashley, even even if they do what I do, I, I go, you know what? Not everyone's going to love my opinion on this, and they might like this day and not that day. And you put your head down on your pillow at night. You're all by yourself, and you think. I don't want people to to be that angry at me, but I, but it's a it's a teachable moment that you're just like you just can't make everybody happy. If the last twenty months has taught anybody anything, it's that, right? Yeah, and and it's one of the weirdest things is that the, these people who are so angry at us right now are saying, you know, uh, we're going to mobilize, we're going to boycott you, and we're for your employees, we're going to put you out of business. And wait a minute, that that. That's a little contradictory, isn't it? If I go to business, all these employees that they're trying to quote unquote save, well, they're not going to have jobs anymore. So it's just, the, you know, the entire thing is is, is like a, a giant oxymoron of logic. It's, it's just mm-hmm. silly. Well, Chapman's isn't getting canceled on my watch, Ashley. It's not going <laughs> to not going to transpire here. What were the conversations like with employees? I think you could take us inside a little behind the curtain here. What were the conversations like with with employees that said we won't get vaccinated? Do you have to approach them and say, let's discuss this? Let's let's find. Do we have a middle ground we can reach? Is this about being hesitant? Is this about being adamant that that you you will not under any circumstances? What were those discussions like? Well, to be honest, most of these discussions have been, you know, based on misinformation for a while. Um, You know, people didn't, even people who were vaccinated didn't want to give us uh, the proof that they were vaccinated because, quote unquote, we would have full access to their total medical history. Well, even if I did have access to their medical history, what on earth would I do with it? Right? Like, I, I, I don't care that you broke your leg when you're 22 like it's just ridiculous so we've been talking to people and just explaining to them like look no we just want to keep everybody safe it's our responsibility um you can't physical distance when you're working on an ice cream line in the plant like it's just anyway we're just we're just we're just trying to do the right thing and uh, have conversations with people about getting vaccinated and since we um released uh, the plan of our mandate uh, vaccine mandate um about and not mandate excuse me policy yeah um, a couple of months ago, we've had a lot of conversations with people and convinced them to get vaccinated. So uh, it's just a lot of people are sitting on the fence and a lot of people just don't know who to trust. Ashley Chapman from Chapman's Ice Cream, our guest on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Um, the conversation about the raise, how was that received when fully vaccinated employees found out you were paying them a little extra per hour um, at the Uh-oh. end of the month? Oh, they were ecstatic. They they were they were, you know, a, a, an out of the blue dollar an hour raise. Like you talk to most people uh, there, nobody's <laughs> going to turn that down. And and in fact, we had a whole a whole cohort of our unvaccinated say, "Oh, really? Well, maybe I will get vaccinated because I need that extra dollar an hour." So it's been positive across the board. It really has. And you did a pandemic pay boost uh, as uh, I, I know I sound like I'm angling for free stuff. I'm not. You get a pandemic pay boost as well when the pandemic started. Yep, And then we made it permanent because, uh, yeah, uh, it's getting uh, more and more expensive every day to live uh, in Canada. So uh, we have a responsibility to make sure that uh, 
our employees can support themselves outside of work. We pay a living wage. We always have. And uh, we'll just keep on doing what we've been doing. I find when people boycott, it often brings positive attention. And that has happened as well, hasn't it, with a slight counter? Not to make the comparison, but um, there became that controversy about Dave Chappelle's Netflix show. And there was controversy. But I understood why completely. I understood why there was a controversy. But then guess what? a ton more people watched Dave Chappelle's Netflix show. Is that happening? Are you seeing sales increases based on the fact that a group said, well, we're going to boycott, but it brings your, I'm talking to you right now. I'm not talking to, to anybody else who makes ice cream right now. Well, let, let me tell you what, the, 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 the flood of emails and supportive messages uh, uh, from, from across Canada has been uh, wonderful in the last couple of days. Like we didn't want to get into this conversation. Yeah. You know, uh, in in a public way, we we just mind our own business here in Markdale, and and it was really heartening to see all of these people who 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 were frankly pissed that that a good company like ours was being dragged through the mud over something that these anti-vaxxers didn't even understand. They thought we were going to lay off hundreds of employees for not being vaccinated, and that's just that's just not the case. Ashley Chapman, kind of to join us. How good is that? How good is that um, holiday moment? Shortbread ice cream. I'm seeing. I'm seeing the liter and a half tub, and I'm like, I could Michigan Ohio State on Saturday. I could polish that off in a three and a half hour college football game. It looks like. <laughs> Do me proud, Greg. Do me proud. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I will. Well, uh, I, I'm sure you'll want my address. Although those don't deliver well, you can't skip the dishes from uh, from your location very easily with ice cream. It's uh, it's a time sensitive issue. I feel. Thank you very much for the time today. Good luck the rest of the way, and I would say thank you and applaud you for doing what you're doing for your workers. Thanks for the time. Thank you very much. We really appreciate you listening to the Toronto Today podcast. Thanks for doing that. Live show tomorrow begins at 5.30 until 9 a.m. You can find us always on our website at 640toronto.com. You can find me on Twitter at Greg Brady T.O. Thank you for listening.